This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, is it really an evil twin if there's only one of you in the universe at the same time? Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow. I am Gep and I'm joined always by my good friend Dr. Izix. Hi! And today we watched just the worst the worst <laughs> episode of anything no 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 uh, i i can't say that it could have been worse yeah i suppose <laughs> yeah this was a bit of a a it's, bit of an experience i guess <laughs> yeah it's it's an episode called the alternative factor mm-hmm. which and in it's tr- itself is a nonsensical junk well, name they, they tried to uh, name drop a few times they were just so heavy-handed it's like what what are you even doing yeah weirdly i think it is it is flat out the least misogynist episode um, in a much, really yeah. weird way like the yeah, last yeah. the other ones just didn't have women in them at all this one has like women in it and no one's treating them badly yeah well uh, i i guess the, uh, the 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 worst that it comes to is that there's a i don't know like uh, you know, someone sets a fire and there's a lady nearby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but she's like a main engineer character. I even liked her hair. She has like a really short haircut. It's cool looking. Yeah, very, very, very uh, you, know, you know, style of the future. Uh, we have an episode written by Don Ingalls. Mm-hmm. He writes one other episode. Yeah, I don't look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's like next season, right? I think so. Where did my writer go? A private little war. Yeah. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I don't remember that one, so don't spoil it for me. <laughs> I don't remember it either, but I remember reading that like he hate he like Roddenberry didn't like the episode and then rewrote most of it and then Ingalls like disowned it. Yeah. So, so this, that should be a trip of a different sort, then. <laughs> yeah. We've only got one main guest star this episode who plays one slash two characters. Uh, surprise! Spoilers! <laughs> yeah. His name is Robert Brown. He was in some other things that no one's ever heard of. He was Timmy O'Toole in a, a Wagon Train. Yeah, Timmy O'Toole. <laughs> Also, apparently, most remembered for his starring role as the charismatic, fast-talking Jason Bolt in the series *Here Come the Brides*. It's another show I keep seeing in these, uh, you know, uh, little info dumps here, but uh, I have no idea what it's about, other than it's probably involving weddings. I know. I have no idea what this would be. It looks looks old westy. Okay. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, I don't know what we're going to actually talk about for this one, but we may as well jump in and at least get the synopsis done. All right, well, maybe we'll come up with something along the way. Yeah, maybe the real alternative factor is the friends we made along the way. Hooray, friendship! <laughs> we join the Enterprise orbiting a typical planet. Yep, it's very typical. Too typical, in yeah. fact. Hmm. It's just super typical. <laughs> just weird. <laughs> There's a horrible special effect, which they use a lot, where like a nebula, a picture of a nebula is like overlaid on the screen and there's some shaking and weird effects. It's it's not good. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, uh, just straight out from the telescope, you know, here's a nebula and it looks kind of weird looking. So we're going to use this over and over again. 
Yeah, apparently this is the universe winking out of existence, but only for a second. So you don't don't worry about it too much. <laughs> don't worry, it doesn't make sense later either. <laughs> yep. After the universe comes back online, Spock now suddenly detects a life object on the planet. So what what is an a life object? A eh, Spock? It's apparently a humanoid. It's just oh. like a life object. I think uh, <laughs> the, the term life signs uh, works better and yeah, it does. Later. <laughs> the crew beam down to some very familiar looking rocks in California yes. where they encounter a flying saucer and a man yelling about how he needs someone to help him until he falls down. Yeah, help me. I'm going to fall down. Uh. I was like, help me. Stop him. Help me. Uh, I'm dead. Yeah. Okay. You've yeah. collapsed. So good on you. Um. Yeah. We go back to the Enterprise. They talk a little bit about how important dilithium crystals are to not crashing into the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, when there's a communication from Starfleet saying they're now like expecting an invasion from somewhere. Yes, yeah, so some sort of like code factor one, you know. So so maybe mm-hmm. that's where the factor comes in. Well, it's the same code that they used during the Klingon invasion, actually. Oh, yeah. So they're being a little bit consistent. Hey, we got continuity. Weird. Yeah. A Commodore named Barstow appears on the screen to tell Kirk they are evacuating the area around them, but the Enterprise needs to deal with whatever is going on in, or die. It's one of those. Yeah, so uh, I, I will also want to point out this is, I think, the first time uh, there's been, like, live communication with, like, Starfleet Central. That's, uh, like, live communication and not, like, just a message or something like that. So they, they must be pretty close. They're starting to use the view screen more and more. Yes. They've realized that just listening to the radio is bad TV. Kirk goes to talk to their new guest while Spock goes down to the planet for a closer examination of the surface. Scan it, Spock. In Kirk's quarters, we're talking to the man named Lazarus, who we are never introduced to by name. He's just sort of here, and they occasionally mention his name like offhanded when they're trying to. Yeah, later on, they like yell his name, but we are never told his name in any capacity. Come on, guys. This episode is enough padding as is. He explains that he was chasing evil across the universe, this horrible murdering monster that's killed civilizations. He calls it an evil anti-life something. Uh It's the anti-life equation made into a person? Oh, no. Yes. The anti-life equation... From Doomsday and the really confusing DC arc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's not get more weird. Let's not let's not bring bring uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths into this. Oh, no, it's, it is kind of in theme, though. Yeah, it is a little. <laughs> uh, the anti-life whatever creature is what's been causing all of the weird universe winking out of existence effects. He asks if Kirk will join him in his holy cause of hunting down this monster, but Kirk is only concerned with his mission outcome and, you know, keeping his crew alive, not holy causes. It's, it's good it's good to have some perspective of Kirk, though. Uh, you might want to draw it together. It's like, okay, your holy cause seems to be related to my problem, too. Maybe we can, like, figure out a deal where I don't have to be all holy warrior on this. But Or, you know, yeah. you could ask some basic follow-up questions. Yes. <laughs> Anything, really. Yeah, but we've already established Kirk's not very good at investigating things. Back on the planet, Kirk and Lazarus meet Spock, who's examining the flying saucer, which it's just, it is flat out just a flying saucer. It's got the weird little see-through bubble dome on top. It's saucer-shaped. It's like a very dumb 50s spaceship. Yes, it's just a ridiculous design. It's, it's, it's kind, of, kind of, you know, humorous to a certain degree. Yep. They have found no additional information from either the ship or the planet, and Spock decides that that means Lazarus is logically lying. 
Okay, then. Yep. <laughs> this upsets Lazarus to be called a liar to his face. And then there's this weird special effect thing again. He runs off screaming, and then the screen turns negative, like a negative, like a photo negative effect on the screen. He, like, is tackled by someone in this negative thingy. We have the Batman newspaper spin effect. Yes. <laughs> so I guess that's the universe imploding? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Then we go back to normal. Lazarus is just staggering around on the planet. And Spock reports that the weird effect was centered on this very spot where Lazarus is. Who would have known? Well, I guess he's probably important to whatever's going on. Ah. Lazarus says, see, I told you the thing attacked me. It's what I've been trying to kill. Kill him. Kill. 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 I'm having flashbacks that uh, one bit of Mars attacks where the, uh, the general's like, kill, 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 kill constantly. Yep. It's basically that. It's about as ridiculous. Back on the ship, Spock still has no clue what's going on, but we're going to spend 10 minutes talking about it anyway. But it's probably something to do with Lazarus, <laughs> you think, maybe, you know. I guess, uh, maybe, supposedly, I don't know. Yep, Kirk goes to sick bay to talk to McCoy about good old Lazarus C. McCoy says that the first time he treated Lazarus, he had a big old cut on his forehead, and now... He talks about having the constitution of a dinosaur or something. Yeah, apparently he's, his wounds are all gone, and it's weird. Because he's a dinosaur. Alternatively, he's from that one planet from a few episodes back. Yeah, where they heal quick. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the gist of it is he doesn't have the big cut on his forehead anymore. Yeah, so that's but important. McCoy let him wander off somewhere, apparently. <laughs> Just as you do. <laughs> yeah, Kirk asks, where is he? And McCoy goes, eh. It's a big ship. Yeah, he's, he's probably, I don't know, hanging out somewhere. We see that in the rec room, Lazarus is hanging out and overhears some engineers talking about the dilithium crystals, and he follows them out into the hallway. But outside, we have the weird special effect thing happen again, and there's a fight again, and Lazarus suddenly no longer has the bandage on his forehead. It's like he's been replaced with somebody else. Or no, he started without the bandage, and now he has the bandage. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. This gets confusing as... All get out. Yes, it kind of goes back and forth. The thing is that this like this cut on his head is supposed to be like a main signifier that we can use, mm -hmm. but it's very unnoticeable in the episode. After yes. this point, they draw special attention to it now because it's got a giant sticking plaster on it. But you know, but later it doesn't, <laughs> and he gets other cuts. So and they're kind of inconsistent as well. So yeah, Kirk shows up. Sees that the guy has the cut on his forehead. Concludes that McCoy was just joking around with him about how the cut healed up. Probably because he went on about dinosaurs for five minutes. <laughs> you see, McCoy just wanted to talk about dinosaurs and need a, a segue of some sort. <laughs> yeah, we've all we've all been that kid in school. It's like, let me tell you about dinosaurs. They're pretty neat, and I need. To, I'm going to use any excuse I can do to get you on that topic. I was that kid, so it's fine. <laughs> you know what's bigger than a house? A dinosaur. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Back on the bridge, there's a blinky light on the, the planet. Turn on. Yeah. The planet's blinking. It's apparently radioactive, but also doesn't really exist. It seems to be radiation coming from nowhere. Yep. Spock decides it's probably a hole in space. Or maybe something else. 
but you know it's he found it by cycling power through the dilithium crystals or something so it reacts to the dilithium crystals and lazarus goes dilithium crystals gimme yes i need those can i have all of them please yeah and kirk goes no we need those to make the ship go yeah and not die (laughs) and lazarus goes well if you're not gonna give me those i'm gonna get angry and storm into the hallway and then have one of those weird seizure effect thingies and lose the cut on my forehead don't help me it'll destroy all the things and oh god He loses the cut on his forehead again. He goes to engineering, where two engineers are working on the dilithium crystals. And he knocks them out and, I guess, steals them. Because now the crystals are missing. And it was probably a bad idea to let this guy wander around the ship. (laughs) Because this guy's obviously a bit not trustworthy. And he's kind of making threats at this point. And wants to take your dilithium crystals, guys. Like, put, put a guard on him. Spock decided that this guy is logically a huge liar and they still let him just wander around (laughs) in the briefing room kirk is interrogating lazarus now with the cut on his forehead (laughs) he denies taking the crystals but he says that the beast he's chasing must have oh no the evil has got the dilithium crystals believe me the crazy person who probably stole your crystals Kirk is very skeptical about how another random person would have gotten on board the ship, but he gives up on Lazarus and decides to just go down to the planet some more, I guess. Because that's going to be helpful. Back on the planet, they search the ship with Lazarus there for some reason. They discover that the dilithium crystals are in fact not on board the ship, and they all split up for no reason again. (laughs) Lazarus has another one of his seizure dream whatever things... Uh, decides to climb down a cliff in a really awkward way, knocks down a rock, tells Kirk to look out for the rock he just knocked down, then falls and hurts himself. What's the point of this? I don't know. It is that now Kirk goes, he saved my life and I trust you more because you saved my life from that rock you pushed on me. Kirk, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) What are you doing? I told you to jump out of the way of me running over you with a car. Yeah. Therefore, I saved your life. Uh, I think uh, Red Dwarf actually kind of made fun of this sort of uh, weird trope uh, once in an episode. Uh, where basically this uh, you know killing machine android time traveler from the far future who is uh, going about erasing people from history uh, you know, is tied up by one of the characters, dangled over a precipice, and then uh, you know in one timeline that person you know lights the rope and it, you know lets them fall to their death. And in the other, they light the rope, but grab the rope at the last moment uh, to save them. And so the uh, preventing the death of the, uh, mon- you know, the, the, the the robot person. And the robot's like, you know, this isn't going to keep you from being erased from history because, you know, you didn't really do anything other than put me in danger in the first place. <laughs> yeah, you don't get to, like, throw a rock at someone and then save them later. Unless they know that they're two people, but they don't know they're two people. We don't even know they're two people. Indeed. Yet. We can kind of suspect, but it's still sort of like, what even all these pieces? We never exactly know what's going on. There's just so many random elements that are just kind of being tossed at you that doesn't really follow through in a very sensible fashion. 
We wind up back in sickbay again, and Lazarus wakes up. Kirk says, oh my god, you saved me, but I still have some questions about what in the world is going on. Like all yeah. of us have as well. Lazarus says that he's actually a time traveler, and he's been chasing this evil person from the distant past, and that the planet they're orbiting is his home world that has long since died in his distant, distant past with his time traveling stuff. Okay, this is a little bit more plausible now, I guess. I guess. The, the never do anything with this, and it's probably also not true. Yes. But <laughs> McCoy insists that they let Lazarus get some rest. He dismisses a guard, but says he won't get away this time before everyone leaves. And Lazarus just gets up and walks out. You know, McCoy does hesitate for just a second, but then he leaves. And that's like, what are you doing, guy? Yeah, it's like, don't worry. He's not going to escape this time. I'm going to watch him for a second. <laughs> and then turn my back and leave the room. Maybe maybe McCoy is actually trying uh, try to get like his revenge on everybody for some reason. And he's just going to be, you know, as pointless and difficult about actually helping it all you know you know as much as he can here so this is for thinking i was joking earlier <laughs> i'm gonna get this guy and let him wander around the ship and get us all killed Blah. there's another one of these special effect things which i guess is supposed to signify lazarus switching personalities or whatever it is indeed kirk and spock discuss how weird things are happening with the radiation and it's like it's from another universe or something but it's coming from like outside the universe maybe and our sensors are designed to detect things in our universe but not outside our universe so obviously that's why things aren't being detectable it makes any sense spot comments on lazarus's erratic behavior which we haven't seen he says like it's almost as if he was two men but every time we've seen lazarus interact with anyone it's been fairly consistent and it's usually been the guy with the uh, big cut on his head, too, except for, like, maybe once. Kirk gets the idea that, like, you know, maybe this isn't a hole in space. Maybe it's a door. That's, like, a kind of hole, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, just a different shaped hole. <laughs> and maybe Lazarus is two identical people, one of whom is from a parallel universe that I've now suddenly decided is made of antimatter. Yes, because obviously it has to be antimatter, right? If one is made of matter, then the other has to be made of antimatter. And we all know that if matter and antimatter touch each other, the universe will explode. Because that's apparently a thing now. I'll go into this later. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lazarus has set a fire in engineering. Two engineers choke their way out of the smoke. He grabs more crystals, knocks out the transporter operator, and sends himself to the planet. Kirk runs after him, finds him working on his ship, but when Kirk tries to run at the saucer, he vanishes. Lazarus is really mad about this. Kirk's been zapped. Kirk winds up in the negative space thingy-mabob for a bit. He kind of just wanders down a hallway. <laughs> yeah. And now he's on the same planet, but slightly darker. Yes. Uh, you know, they apparently took a... You know, late evening shots or early evening shots or something like that because there's sort of a twilight effect going on there's obviously flood floodlights lighting him up so you can actually see anything and that's then a they, weird filter shot yeah and, and then they like move to a like a set <laughs> he is greeted by lazarus oh my god oh no it's the other lazarus or is this the lazarus that we should know i i'm not I sure i don't anymore. know <laughs> neither of them has a cut anymore yeah so <laughs> Shrug? <laughs> this Lazarus 
confirms everything that Kirk just thought a minute ago. All the all the assumptions that were completely unfounded that Kirk just sort of pulled out of his ass, they're all true, apparently. So Lazarus's people discovered how to get to a parallel universe. His counterpart was driven mad by the idea that there was another of him somewhere and now wants to kill his duplicate, even though he knows that if they ever met outside of the little interdimensional corridor thingamabob they've been going through it would destroy both universes which would be bad lazarus though has a plan that he wants to send kirk back to force the other lazarus into the negative corridor where he will be waiting for him to hold him there and then the enterprise will destroy the ship closing the negative zone thing trapping them both there for all time that's pretty cool um so what happens to the uh, two guys then? They're like trapped in between dimensions, I suppose. For all eternity. Kirk doesn't like this much, but he doesn't really spend much time trying to find a different idea either. And he just leaves back to his own universe. Yes. <laughs> Once he's there, he grabs the other Lazarus, wrestles with him very ineffectively for a while while Spock just awkwardly watches from the side. Yeah, and uh, there's also two red shirts there, and Kirk's just like, I'll take care of this, and then he does so poorly. <laughs> yeah, he proceeds to, like, wrestle this guy for, like, five minutes with not, like, all three of them could have just grabbed this this dude easily. Very easily. But I guess maybe then they all get potentially pulled in the negative zone and be awkward. He eventually manages to throw Lazarus into the ship where he disappears in the same way we saw Kirk earlier. We see the two Lazaruses fighting inside the negative zone. And Kirk, like, hesitates for a bit, but eventually, like, disactivates the phasers and destroys the ships. And then the universe is saved, I guess. Yeah. Spock goes, hey, the universe is safe now. And Kirk stares off into the distance and says, for us. But what of Lazarus? What of Lazarus? I'm imagining the buffalo. <laughs> yeah, that was that. Yeah. <laughs> that sure was an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> I think. Like, there's nothing going on. What's the, the conflict is that this crazy dude is trying to kill his duplicate for crazy dude reasons. Yes, and everyone just kind of following along for the ride. Yeah. I, I want to go and touch upon the... Uh, the basic premise of the the episode in terms of the threat this notion that the entire universe will uh get exploded if these two guys meet oh it's time for the isix physics corner that i should yes. work a theme song out for <laughs> you blinded me with science so the the, the 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 idea is that this other universe is a universe made out of antimatter yep. correct yeah apparently so, so when Kirk goes to that you know, other universe of antimatter, it shouldn't matter that he's not going to hang out with a alternative version of himself. Just his electrons and protons and neutrons uh, making physical you know, you know, you know, uh, contact with the various particles of the, you know, of the, you know, the antiparticles in that universe should cause him to explode. <laughs> so Kirk should be dead <laughs> the moment he steps to that universe. That'd be a pretty short episode. Yes. <laughs> Uh, though, yeah, though, 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 you know, the 
So, so clearly, this other uni universe is not made of antimatter. But in case it was, <laughs> and uh, these two guys, and if the, the entire all you know, and K when Kirk traveled over there, it just happened to be that Kirk was not going to be destroyed because he was converted to antimatter or something. I'm not sure. Um, but if these two guys were to meet, and one was made out of matter and the other was made out of antimatter, uh, we could actually calculate how much energy their their interactions would release and how, how much destructive power that would be. Ready for this? Yes. All right. So assuming these guys are like 100 kilograms each, right? So you do the whole uh, M equals MZ squares, uh, E equals MZ squares sort of thing, and you figure out, oh, these guys in total are going to be like 9 times 10 to the 18th joules each, which is, you know, 9,000 petajoules, which is uh, one megaton of, uh, you, know, you know, like in TD. Explosive power is about 4.184 petajoules. So each one of these guys is about 2,000 megatons of explosive power upon interacting with each other. Uh, and so that's about 4,000 megatons. So how does that like compare to like anything then? Any guesses? It's still pretty big. It's pretty big, uh, yes. Hydrogen bomb-ish. So uh, the uh, the largest, uh, uh, you know, hydrogen bomb, uh, you know, uh, you know, put together and actually detonated was... 50 megatons so this is definitely you know like a you know a couple orders of magnitude larger than that and uh conceivably the uh the 50 megaton bomb the star bomb uh could have been uh tweaked to be up to 100 megatons so uh yeah that, that's that's it's gonna be a pretty big explosion but there's things like that have happened on earth that are like bigger than this and have not destroyed the universe yeah so world <laughs> ending but not universe threatening yes <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so comparison, like the total uh, nuclear arsenal of the entire world is about uh, 1,400 some uh, megatons, which is still smaller than these two guys hanging out together. But, uh, you know, then you go to things like, like how much total energy is received by the Earth per minute. It's like 62,000 megatons. <laughs> so there's, uh, you know, and that's not destroying the Earth constantly, so that's that's probably a good thing. It's also not destroying the entire universe. I think we uh, we base we skipped over a slight thing that I think is somewhat important: is what in the world is antimatter to begin with? Well, it's like matter, except it is basically the uh, uh, you know the inverse as far as uh, you know uh, charge considerations usually go. Uh, the antimatter was sort of you know first conceived of when then people were like. Hmm, we need like a relativistic version of quantum mechanics. Uh, let's look at this uh, equation by this guy named Dirac, and uh, and we're going to try to make that all quantum-y. And then they sort of did, and it's like, okay, so we're going to have like, you know, the uh, you know these two spin states here, but we also have these two other spin states that are like negative energy. Hmm, now that doesn't make any sense. How can you have negative energy? And then they uh, sort of thought about it for a little bit while. Well, what if it's not negative energy, but like sort of the inverse of the particle. So if they were to like, you know, interact, you get like twice as much energy as opposed to like zero energy. And that, that's sort of where the, uh, <laughs> the idea of antimatter kind of came about and that's sort of a very, very hand wavy sort of version of it. <clears throat> so it's just opposite energy and not, particles. It's, it's not opposite energy. It's sort of, you know, an opposite particle. A part, so uh, in uh, nature, most matter particles, uh, you know, as far as we know, uh, you know, have a, antimatter equivalent so you got an electron the antimatter version of it is called a positron or a negative or an anti-electron 
Um, you also got like, you know, antiprotons, which are, you know, opposites of protons. Uh, and, you know, you know, of course, that also means the constituent particles of protons, the various quarks, you know, the ups and the downs uh, are also being antiparticled in the antiproton uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, now there are, and this this all works for matter, but it's not you know generally work for uh, you know things like uh, you know energy particles like photons. There's not an anti-photon out there. You just sort of if you want to cancel out a photon, you just sort of produce a phase shifted photon to sort of match it. So you got your electromagnetic waves sort of canceling each other out, and you do got your fun things like the uh, the W boson, the plus and minus, but those aren't really antiparticles. They're more just different versions of the you know main force there now am i am i wrong or have we actually like made this stuff in super colliders and things oh yeah we've made uh, pretty much all this stuff here all right and like antimatter is a thing that just theoretically actually exists in the universe and is just floating around in very small quantities oh yeah, yeah. not antimatter. touching stuff yeah you know antimatter uh you know uh, runs into the earth constantly because there's you know random antiparticles just sort of floating about in space uh, caused by all sorts of uh, you know energetic processes throughout the universe and you get yourself a uh, supernova and you know you can get lots of heavy elements things like that but you also can get some antiparticles uh, and also even like uh, nuclear fission uh, um, uh, fusion sorry <clears throat> uh, in stars you know it's like okay you're trying to uh, create some uh, some particles here um, you throw this hydrogen you know together with this helium here what do you got here any guesses no <laughs> all right um, Give me a moment to make sure I'm getting all the... Uh, the I've the, failed uh, chemistry pretty <laughs> badly. <laughs> well, this is atomic chemistry, so it's even worse. <laughs> so um, so, so I'm double-checking my notes here. Um, <laughs> so you get your uh, your hydrogen your plus your hydrogen, right? You yeah. Get, and then you're going to get a, uh, uh, a positron out of that, potentially. Uh, and then a, uh, you know, which is the anti-electron. And then a, a, a electron neutrino, because you also have to conserve lepton numbers. So, you know, you can actually generate, uh, you know, antimatter through fusion. Just, you know, it's not antiprotons. Because <laughs> you, uh, you, you get two uh, hydrogen, uh, you, know, uh, you know, atoms together, you fuse them together, you get hydrogen too, which requires, which is a, uh, you know, a single proton and a neutron. And so you got, you know, at the end of the process, a, a total of a plus one charge for your hydrogen too, but you also need to get rid of a charge somehow. So the, the anti, uh, you know, electron is produced and that carries that away. Ah, okay, that makes sense. That's, that's what I was remembering, but I need to double check here. So, sorry for so that. So we have, <laughs> according to Star Trek, we have like universe-ending stuff just floating around in space randomly. So we're all dead. <laughs> we're all we've all been destroyed forever and ever. So this kind of reminds me when the uh, you know the LHC was coming online and people were like. Oh no, it's going to create a black hole that's going to destroy the entire world and it's going to be the end of the world. We have to stop it. And I'm like, you know, there's stuff coming in from outer space that hits the planet Earth every single day that is way more energetic than what we can produce here on Earth. And it's not generating black holes and destroying us forever. Yeah, well, people don't know how black holes work. Yes. <laughs> well, even people that know how black holes work don't know how black holes work. But anyway... <laughs> Yeah, but you you could create an infinitely dense micro singularity by smashing two atoms together, and what would it like? It wouldn't do anything. It would, uh, you know, if you were, if it was actually forming an actual singularity, then it would basically evaporate very quickly via you know Hawking radiation. And in fact, it would sort of act like just sort of some sort of temporary 
you know, you know, weird nuclear particle uh, you got going on there or something like that. Which is why they introduced them later as the things that run Romulan ship. Yes. <laughs> but that's not for a while. That's, is that is that a next generation? Yeah, next gen. They have the Romulan ships run by micro singularities. All right, I didn't know that when that was introduced. So, but I think that this is the first time we've hit antimatter. I don't know. I forgot to look up when they actually discovered antimatter. Um, I think it's, theoretically it's been around since like maybe the 30s. I yeah, uh, I might be forgetting. You know, I'm getting this right. So, yeah. so I think they've used it in other things. This is our first Star Trek mention, and they they haven't decided that it's what runs the ship yet. That will be. We don't know what runs the ship. <laughs> well, dilithium, uh, obviously, right? So their science is dumb. The episode itself, like, I don't, I think what they're going for here is some sort of, is some sort of ultimate self-sacrifice to protect the world from your evil side, which they really love doing the evil good side things. At least in this one, his evil side is not super important to the functioning of reality the way Kirk's is. Yes, (laughs) It's more of a, a dark reflection as opposed to, you know, some sort of component. So the, the basic end thing here is that this guy has to what completely sacrifice himself struggling with his evil half for all eternity in order to save the universe. <laughs> and I just, I don't, I get it. This manly thing of like, we are all, we all have dark parts inside of us that we have to suppress and hold down and contain. Otherwise we are innately dangerous beings. There's something weirdly attractive about that to some people i guess it's this power like it it really plays into a kind of power fantasy of like i could be horrible and evil if i didn't hold it back so not only am i powerful because i could do horrible things i am also powerful because i prevent myself from doing so yeah the world is made out of cardboard you see and if i were to just even let one iota of my ultimate doom power out Everyone will be dead. And we're supposed to praise this guy's sacrifice. Like, at the end, we have this whole thing. Like, he saved the entire universe, but it all sucks for him. Let's just, you know, what of him? What Couldn't we have done something? What What's the problem? Yeah. Well, I think both versions were kind of assholes. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be. So I'm not, not too broken up about the situation, honestly. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure that the brief for this episode would have been something like, Captain Ahab, but he's hunting himself. Yeah, I think that's kind of apt, you know. I guess maybe, you know, there is, you know, you know the, the bit about, you know, this guy being driven insane because he realized, oh, there's another me out there, and I guess I have to destroy it? I'm, yeah. That doesn't really make any sense to me. No, I mean, I guess it's just this this individuality idea. It's kind of the same thing we get much later with the Borg and a little bit with that with that um, uh, Return of the Archons episode with the hive mind. Anything that prevents you from being this super special individual is like so impossible to comprehend as to drive you mad. Also, we this is another one of these things where they just say this person is mad as a by word to just explain any behavior at all like he is mad meaning he is like completely evil anything that happens to him is justified that's all we need to know and that's everything we do in this episode's okay now they really are continuing with a lot of the themes in this episode 
Like this episode is written so poorly that the continuing themes that they have through all of the episodes really start standing out. Yeah. <laughs> and like this there's this huge underlying just fear that you could suddenly become mad for no reason or that something else could make you mad or you could be be driven like turned mad. There's just this idea that madness is just this thing that's gonna get you so i guess there is maybe a a a, a funny way to sort of interpret this then in that you know if the one that quote goes mad is from you know kirk's universe and the other one that's a little more chill but kind of still a jerk uh is from the other universe it maybe sort of implies that you know that the the sort of you know super ultra individualism that will just you know trip yourself and make you you know you completely lose your, your your brain here uh, is maybe a, a byproduct of the universe Kirk exists in, and that's not the case elsewhere. <laughs> maybe that, that maybe this is a an unfortunate uh, you know part of the fundamental existence in you know this you know particular dimension. But there are better ways out there, and you know, maybe we can go explore them someday. <laughs> we never figure out which dimension either of the two is from. We never <laughs> even fully figure out which one's the mad one. Yeah. We just, you know, the, the end, the uh, one where Kirk meets, meets the other universe, you know, is just suddenly much more chill than the one we've been seeing. But we're pretty sure this guy's also been acting weird. So, yeah, who knows? Like, both of them have acted weird throughout the course of the episode. Like, this guy talks in a very calm, considered way, but his entire plan is I'm going to, like, sacrifice myself and the other person and just be at each other's throats for all eternity. Well, I guess at least till they both run out of food or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you don't know how this thing works. They might just die in there. Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> it also just sort of, you know, once the madness has taken you, that's it. Like, they, they say, like, they're going to be in there. Imagine being in there with a madman it's your throat for all eternity it's like this they're going to get tired like you're you're basically saying you will never be able to work out a a thing with this guy like he's just so mad that you cannot reason with him you can't talk to him you can't do anything he's just mad yeah you know he's unrecoverable and uh no amount of laying on a uh cot in the in the 1930s is gonna help yep this next well, we just we <laughs> love we love this unrecoverable madness idea this is something that we still have it's in fact the very basis of our current mental health system yeah, it's like everyone's beyond help yeah you're not completely beyond help but you're definitely beyond cure yeah the, the way we pathologize things now is like you just have an inborn problem with your brain that you have to struggle with for the rest of your life and there's nothing we can do about it except teach you ways to manage it. We treat it like a chronic disease. Indeed. Like, I understand some of this mentality, but, like, with other chronic diseases, we are at least looking for cures. This one, we've basically given up and said, like, well, nothing we can do. You have to be on these pills forever, and here's some, like, meditations or something that you can do to manage this. Yeah, we'll, we'll teach you how to manage, but that's about it. And if it's, you know, if it goes real bad, then we'll toss you in a hospital. And especially, like, this has definitely gotten better since they wrote these episodes in the 60s, but the unrecoverable madness thing is just, like, they're unrecoverable, there's nothing we can do, we are no longer morally responsible for helping them. And so it's okay if they get trapped in a hell dimension forever. We are okay with this crazy person being trapped 
in this place, like in a horrible situation, basically just shove them out of the way where we don't have to think about them anymore because they are unrecoverably mad. Anything we do to them is now justifiable. So cruelty, whatever, you know, ignoring them, that's also fine. Mm -hmm. You know, using them to save the universe in a really kind of, huh, fashion, that's good too. Yeah, I guess we're only <laughs> supposed to feel bad about the one Lazarus, because Kirk throws the other guy in there to get captured. Yeah. He has no qualms about that. He tries to kind of convince the other one out of it a little bit, like, oh no, you'll be trapped too. Yeah, I think the more reasonable action for Kirk would be to like kind of man up and be like, hey, I'm like Superman guy here. I need to be like the guy who does the manning up here and I'm going to not let you do this. And then he tries to take the, you know, the place in there because that's the kind of character I'm sort of characterizing him as right now. But then, you know, this other Lazarus is like, no, I, it has to be me. I can't let anyone. I'm going to do this heroic sacrifice instead. But Kirk's just like, ah, this is fine. <laughs> yeah, the basic, the basic like conclusion of the episode is this guy did a heroic thing by sacrificing himself to make sure that we can take this insane person and put them away somewhere they can't hurt us. And everyone's just sort of cool, I guess. Yep. There's some, some mild lament, but it's not really delved into. Yeah, a little bit of like, oh no, too bad. Now, a potentially more interesting episode would be where, you know, this all this the plot for this entire episode takes place like the first 10, 15 minutes. And then the rest of the episode is everyone trying to sort of like process this and maybe try to figure out a way to sort of like actually save both of them or something like that yeah i suppose there's just supposed to be something wrong with this one guy who goes insane because at this point the minute they find out there is this alternate universe with uh, suppose i guess antimatter versions of everything that's in this universe every single one of them now knows that they have a duplicate and i guess none of them go insane yes <laughs> well they also maybe don't think about it too hard so i guess in universe that's the excuse <laughs> yeah i suppose Kirk's already had a duplicate. He finds out about other duplicates later. They never really bring this up again. There's kind of a continuing theme in science fiction that space stuff is going to drive you mad. A little bit. I mean, it's really weird. They had space madness as like a concern for a bit. Like mm -hmm. when they sent the first people up, they didn't know what being outside of the atmosphere was going to do to you. Oh, yeah, the weightlessness alone could cause all your humors to shift or something, mm -hmm. I guess. There's also this... I guess it's a little bit of Lovecraftian idea that just dealing with something you've never seen before is going to drive you mad. There's like a, I think it's an old Asimov story about um, a planet that has uh, like five suns or something and never gets oh, yeah. dark. How, uh, I read part of that at one point. Yeah, and then the idea is every, you know, 10,000 years or some some random number, like the all sets. the suns line up in such a way that the planet becomes dark and seeing the stars drives everyone mad. Yeah. Weirdly enough, the first time I ran into that story was not actually through the story itself, but someone who was using it as a, uh, the, the plot device for a game mod. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's basically the plot of pitch of pitch black. The, mm -hmm. um, the first of the Riddick movies. Yes. <laughs> so everything's fine. Oh, we're going to have darkness for the first time in many, many, many days here or something like that. And it's going to last for a good long while. And then all the evil comes out and 
We have to run for yep. our lives and be scared. The evil comes out after dark. Mostly come out of, out after dark. Your your brain is like, you know, you deal with unexpected stuff a lot, basically all the time. Yeah. You you're not like there's there's stress. If you are under a huge amount of stress and something unexpected happens, you can have something bad happen to your brain. You can have a mental breakdown or go into a psychosis or something. But but like just encountering something that you've never seen before is not going to drive you insane. This is kind of weird, but I don't get it. I'll have to sort of figure this out over time, but I, I'm fine mentally, so... Eh? Yeah, I I mean, I can't directly speak to it, but the the only reason that someone would, like, have, like, this kind of weird, super destructive impulse towards a duplicate of themselves as if they've wrapped up so much of their personal identity and being an and being like a somehow super unique individual that they can't even stand to have another thing around that looks like them they are they are obviously different people with different life experiences otherwise both of them would have been driven mad by this so we don't really know much about why this guy is different other than they're just from different universes that would cause this. Yeah, they obviously aren't identical universes either because one discovered dimension hopping and the other didn't. I guess they maybe like copied it or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't none of this makes any sense yes. at all. But like the the only message you can draw from this is to struggle against yourself to the point of self-sacrifice to prevent the madness from getting out. And uh, thus saving all those around you. Yep. This is an unfortunate theme that I still see, though. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is basically the fight your demons idea. How, how are you demons these days? Uh, they're fine. Like they're trying to tell me things. <laughs> this is the thing like i guess this is like just the side of things that i'm starting to come from more and more but like everything that happens in your body and mind is there for a reason and is trying to communicate things to you and maybe if you like could listen and understand the system better you would be able to interact with it in a way that that is just healthier for everything instead of trying to suppress start parts of your own you know, internal system that are trying to communicate important facts to you. You know, know yourself and then you can sort of, you know, I guess, quote, master yourself better. Yeah. Or you not even just master, just cooperate. Yeah. <laughs> Become more harmonious with your existence. Mm-hmm. We, we exist in this system. We are all, we're all like multiple organisms. Everyone knows this on some basic level. We're a, we're like a weird super colony of cells. We're sort of this weird that's kind of some sort of self-awareness yeah like you you exist as a system of life forms your brain exists as a system of of various you know minds like it's it's all just a big system that has to to you know work harmoniously if you try to fight against certain pieces of the system it's going to not work as harmoniously and so all interlocking systems but you know if you know you sort of insist that oh i am the singular entity, the singular existence, then you're, you know, not only going to sort of, you know, be ignoring, you know, this opportunity for a you know, more harmonious existence, but when, you know, you notice something that is sort of out of place in your internal systems, you're going to sort of try to treat it as this sort of external threat, which is going to, yeah. you know, maybe lead to some self-destructive behavior. Which, according to this episode, destroys you, traps yeah. you in the alternate dimension, fighting yourself for all eternity. Yes. And that's doom. 
Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know Except this, this, I guess this episode, the, the, like if we put this in the context of the other episodes we've seen with madness and multiplicity, uh, they're saying like, don't let your crazy side come out in the first place is the only way to deal with this situation. I guess. Yeah. I, I like being a little kooky on t- times. And then some people might say I'm mad. Some might even say I'm crazy. But then I explain where my brain's going and they're like, oh, it actually does kind of make sense. Mad? You're the one who's mad. I'll show them all. I'll show them all. Ah, wait, that sounded kind of kind of mad, didn't it? <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, I have sort of a personality, a way of being that you know is a little unsettling for folks sometimes, especially when I'm just like, you know, suddenly I do a complete shift the conversation, and they're like, what? <laughs> And so suddenly, you know, suddenly I'm talking about dinosaurs like McCoy apparently does. <laughs> but, uh, you know, then I and then, you know, there's been a few times where people are like, you just make no sense. And they're like, wait, let me explain. So you said this, which reminded me of this, which made me think about this other thing, which reminded me of this other conversation we had, which reminded me of this other thing. And so, so I'm going to bring this other thing that I wanted to talk about in that previous conversation up now so that we can get back to that train of thoughts. Even though it's kind of derailing the current one, yeah, that happens to be a lot, yeah. and you know, it's just sort of just sort of part of your, you know, you know, a, a healthy existence. And, you know, some people do it more often than others, and that's fine. But you know, uh, it, you make random connections all the time, exactly, and and it can seem like madness to someone else who doesn't have that sort of habit, and and so it's sort of, you know, <laughs> you know, being able to sort of sit down and sort of understand yourself enough to explain your train of thought can be kind of useful, but. We already sort of brought up several times that Lazarus in this episode, whichever one I'm talking about, is terrible explaining things. Yeah. So, yeah. They're, well, they're also terrible at asking questions. That's true. That's true. In this episode and the last episode, they could like Kirk could have solved the entire thing, but it's going like, okay, something weird is happening. Why are you acting weird? You're not like normal people we run into on random planets like this. What's up? <laughs> so this is this is an off-topic thing, but I think it's interesting with like kind of where we got to. But even before, like I started looking into some of the multiplicity psychology and things, we've had this bit, this thing for a while where we just know that our mind just works kind of by random consensus. Because mm-hmm. at any given time, like you know, forty something percent of the neurons in your brain are doing other junk. Like they're misfiring or not working efficiently. Like your brain is actually hugely inefficient as far as neuron to neuron interactions go. But the cumulative effect of like all of them sort of working towards the same thing and most of them getting there is actually way more efficient for like processing speed, if you want to make it like a computer analogy than if if our entire brain was working on one problem at a time all the weird little misfires and things and our us kind of getting to a general consensus of what's going on with our neurons is actually like the only way that it could function it's uh, not quite parallel processing but sort of you know yeah uh, don't have good sort of other alternative sort of uh, analogy to use here honestly yeah well if you kind of are looking at it in the computer way some of the, they're, they're working on this with a lot of ai models mm-hmm. you have you have a lot of models just kind of working on the same problem from very slightly different angles and not all of them are going to work most of them are going to fail but yeah. enough of them succeed that you get a sort of general consensus of here's the best answer 
And, uh, you know, you got sort of a, a control functions like, okay, you know, if you sort of maximize these things to that are supposed to be resulting in, you know, answer, independent of what the answer is, then you will, you know, you know, for all the results that are pretty close to this, you'll have, you know, you know, be acquiring the correct answer. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think we've like definitely run out of things to talk about. A little bit. So should we get to award time? Yes, I think it is time for the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey, Gepwin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I understand that you've had some prizes for our wonderful contestants this episode. Oh yeah, so uh, we got some uh, some delightful things to give out. I hope you're ready to do so. The first one is the Evil Twin Award for la- going to Lazarus and Lazarus for being his own duplicate. What does he win, Gepwin? Lazarus and Lazarus win some sort of vaudeville act. Lazarus and Lazarus just sounds like a like a you know game show hosts or some sort of stage show. Oh no, they're trying to take my job. Oh dear! <laughs> Our second uh, prize for the day is going to be the dimension jump prize, which goes to Kirk for being all up in that antimatter dimension. I think maybe whatever place that was. What does he win, Captain? Kirk wins the hope that the next leap will be his leap home. <laughs> oh, holy bacula, Batman! <laughs> So our third award is the Where are the Guards Awards, which goes to all the security personnel of the Enterprise for constantly losing track of that one guy who may be the key to prevent the universe exploding. So uh, what does he win? All the guards of the Enterprise win segways, because if you're going to act like mall cops, you may as well lean in. <laughs> I like that. Good one. <laughs> oh. So uh, thank you very much for the, you know, you know, the winners here. You've all been beautiful. Or maybe. Well, we'll, fi- we'll find out next time, maybe. Yes, thank you all for joining us this time on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Yay! Well, it's supposed to get better from here. Excellent. The next episode is one of the most famous, and some argue the very best, of the original series. And so uh, we go from like the what, what, huh, to like an actually like a pretty good one. Actually. Yeah, we go from the absolute worst episode of this entire thing <laughs> to what may be the best episode of this entire thing, and the one that everyone points to when they're like, "Look at the cool, awesome themes and whatever that they work with in this show." It's also written by Harlan Ellison, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Next episode is called The City on the Edge of Forever. Hope uh, hope the ne- next episode is not forever away. Yes. Well, it should be next week if we get all of our stuff done on Hooray. time. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yes. So you can join us next week to find out A City on the Edge of Forever really is the best that Star Trek has to offer on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, McCoy fails a deck save, causing Kirk to take full emotional damage. (laughs) 
You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcasts, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Morris Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.